Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. CJ, it's always great to see you, uh, even if it is virtual. Uh, I know the events of last week had me feeling a little bit down. Uh, Obviously, I can't imagine what other people have been feeling as a result of this as well. And I mean, whatever we were feeling is obviously paling in comparison uh, to the pain that Kyle Beach, uh, the former uh, Chicago Blackhawks player, uh, who was John Doe, uh, who had the interview with Request Head, must have been feeling for the last 11 years. But I imagine a lot of hockey fans, a lot of hockey media types, They've been feeling some type of way about the last week. So I just want to start off by just asking, how are you feeling, man? A little low energy, if I'm being honest, and probably for the same reasons. You know, I can't say for sure. Uh, as you know, this job is 24-7, so maybe just in a low energy cycle because I've been busy working through the weekend. But, um, you know, it, it has been heavy. It, 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 what's interesting to me is often stories come along and and given the news cycle, you know, they we move on to the next thing pretty quickly. I it doesn't feel like this one has fully exhausted that yet, if you know what I mean. And, and that there still is going to be a fair amount of discussion. I think there, you know, we still need to hear from Kevin Sheveldayoff and Mark Chipman in Winnipeg, you know, as we're recording this, the NHL players association is is just going into an executive board meeting uh, call. That'll be a couple hours here into the, into the night on Monday. And so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just sort of trying to trace where, where this goes next, but, you know, certainly doesn't feel like this was just a uh, 48 hours and then we move on to the next thing. I, I do think that, um, you know, this, this story is very much front and center in the industry still. Absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll touch off on uh, the latest uh, turn in the saga, uh, among some other stuff on this episode. I know the last episode we focused on Kyle Beach and the fallout primarily. Uh, we will discuss uh, Gary Bettman's comments from his uh, media availability Earlier on Monday, uh, I mean, as we are recording, uh, Donald Fear and the NHLPA meeting is happening. There's not sure what much we can add to that, but I'm sure I'll try to find a way to get something from CJ on that anyway. And there is a Jack Eichel update for everybody. Uh, I promise before we get to ask CJ, uh, we go through some of the questions that are out there. This is going to be a jam-packed episode, uh, but we will definitely have a Jack Eichel update for you guys. So we're going to cover a multitude of different topics today, but I want to start with Gary Bettman. Um, just initial just initial thoughts on Gary Bettman speaking uh, to the media uh, post-Kyle Beach interview, post-reports, uh, post-everything that transpired over the last week. 
it was a fairly wild call, I would call it maybe, or, you know, lasted nearly an hour and was kind of all over the place and had some moments in it. Um, you know, I, I do think to, to be charitable, I, I'm not sure what the commissioner really could have said in this conference call that would satisfy everyone that would, would quiet the issue or would just everyone go, oh, okay, yeah, they, they, they've got this handled. I mean, it, I think given the nature of what's happening here, um, this was always going to be a little bit of a scrambly kind of emotional call. Obviously, some questions got batted down. Others, you know, just it was it was fairly uh, intense. And so, yeah, I, I don't have like a big like billboard takeaway about what was said. Um, you know, I do still feel I, th- I think, as I said in our Thursday episode, I'm, I'm not totally sure the league itself should be adjudicating everything here. I'm not entirely comfortable with that, although I, you know, candidly don't necessarily have a better answer about who it should be, but it just, it, it feels as though there's just so many different ways that everyone involved is kind of linked together and, and you'd almost just want a third party, I think, making some decisions on these matters. But, you know, obviously uh, a lot's transpired with, with Joel Quenville, Al McIsaac, Stan Bowman losing their jobs. The possibility now Don Fear could potentially lose his or have some kind of change in leadership in the NHLPA, and then um, you know we'll see see where else this goes next. But yeah, it was it was a wild call. It was very unusual. Very, it wasn't a normal run of the mill availability with the commissioner and, and deputy commissioner Bill Daly. I'll put it that way. No, for sure. Um, I'm going to try to just. I took out some moments of the call, uh, which I thought were pretty interesting, and you can feel free to point out stuff that really kind of stuck out to you just for added context for other people who didn't necessarily watch basically Gary Bettman, just delivering his own thoughts on, on the Kyle beach interview. He did say he, he felt horrified uh, and emotional and was distressed uh, his words specifically uh, watching the, the Kyle beach interview and the fact that he had gone through what he had gone through at the hands of uh, the Chicago Blackhawks video coach at the time, Brad Aldrich. Uh, but he did also mention stuff as uh, with regards to when they learned about some of these allegations or uh, also uh, the, the discussing Kevin Sheffield day offs role in all of this, the, uh, the current GM of the Winnipeg jets uh, also mentioning uh, Joel Quenville. And there was a big discussion about whether or not he should have been able to coach uh, while uh, he was supposed to be under uh, a talk with Gary Bettman. Obviously that led to him resigning from the Florida Panthers. Uh, Akeem Aliou I gets that one. this as well. Yeah. I, I, do you want to start with Joel Quenville? I mean, there's well, a lot we could kind of go into, but like, I, mean, I, I don't agree with that either. Like, well, he was just saying like, he didn't want to give the appearance that there's any prejudgment in that case. You know, not allowing him to coach that game wouldn't necessarily have been prejudgment. It just would be, yeah. look, this information has come to light. In light of this information, now that we see what it is, you know, we can't have you continue while we, you know, while we get around to having this conversation. You know, I, I don't think that would have been prejudgment. You know, Gary Bettman himself did allow that others can disagree with him on that. That That's just one spot. I didn't, I, I really didn't understand that at the time. And I still don't understand the reasoning now. Um, you know, it kept pointing out to these coached 867 games or whatever it's been. two games. Yeah. And, and since 2010, I was like, well, I, I'm not sure what that's illustrating. I mean, all that's underlining here is maybe all those games might not have been coached had, had this been handled properly initially. Um, or had this been known sooner? I mean, anyway, this whole thing, I mean, there's, there's, we can pull on the string in every direction, but I, I really, I, I didn't, 
I didn't like that action by the league or inaction in this case. And, and, you know, yeah, he, he quits a day later, resigns a day later, but it, it just, it didn't feel like they maybe reacted to this the best. And, you know, I thought one thing that was interesting, Julian, is, you know, Gary Bettman mentioned, even when the litigation was first filed early in the year, one of the reasons he said that the NHL didn't more aggressively pursue it is they were told by the the Blackhawks and their lawyers that it was a meritless claim. Yep. Um, you know, which is kind of interesting. I do think on a certain level, if you're the league, you do have to rely on the people who work for you or who are under you to, to be honest with you in those cases. I mean, I'm sure every single thing that comes across the desk of the commissioner or the senior level management at the NHL, you, you can't pursue because there's, there would be a lot of information there and you are relying on your, your clubs, but you know, it, it does appear that that was a, a point of failure in this whole thing as well. And just maybe not reacting to it quicker and, 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 being more on top of it even earlier in the year when they first heard about the lawsuit. Well, here's what I, I mean. I'm not particularly that smart when it comes to those is, issues, I guess, in terms of legalities and whatnot. But for, and, and I'll mention this even as well with uh, another point that I think bothered me a lot was when, uh, and I'll get to Rick Westhead. Rick Westhead on its own, we need to spend a couple minutes on that. But when Rick Westhead in his question mentioned uh, the high schooler who was unfortunately abused by Bradley Aldrich. Bradley Aldrich was convicted for that crime. Spent time Uh, in jail. Spent time in jail. I thought, you know, it would have been just easy for Gary Bettman, even if he didn't want to get himself into any legal trouble. I think it could have been easy for him to just say, you know what? I still feel for this guy, for what he went through and and what he might be feeling right now. And And I'm kind of jumbling these two thoughts into one question, but... While, yes, Bettman did express some heartfelt, or maybe some people don't feel that way if it's heartfelt or not, but he did express uh, some sadness about what Kyle went through. Don't you think Gary Bettman could have shown a little bit more? I think the fact that at least if he, even if they learned about it when they did, couldn't Gary Bettman at least, you know, step in and and try to talk to Kyle himself and see what he's going through? Or, or, or the player. And I realize I'm kind of a little, over, a little all over the place with this question, but essentially my whole thinking is it would have been great if Gary Bettman didn't think like a lawyer and thought a little bit more like a human being, essentially. That's, that's fair. You know, I still think, I think he's pretty heartfelt in this though. Like, like, and I understand, look, I've criticized parts that I don't agree with what the league's done. I'm sure Absolutely. you have some of the same criticisms, but I, I think I can do that on one hand and also say, I really do believe he cares. Um, but, you know, the two different people can look at a situation and see, a, a, you know, where the, the and like logically he or reasonably look at the same situation and think it should be handled in two different ways. Right. And so, you know, Gary Bettman is a lawyer. I'm sure, you know, I, I think lawyers, the, the way anyone who's publicly commented on this or released a statement in the last week, lawyers had a hand in that. Right. PR firms had a hand in that. Um, you know, especially in the U.S., it tends to be a bit more of a litigious place uh, where, where I think you have to be mindful of what you put out there because of potential for, for lawsuits. Um, you know, I, I, I do. Th- you're right, though. There still was room, I guess, to show more empathy there. And, and, you know, really the context of what you're saying is that on Saturday, the commissioner did speak with Kyle Beach directly, uh, you know, via a video call and, you know, basically pledged to him that the he and his family had access to the, any counseling resources they would need from the NHL, um, you know, moving forward. 
you know, I believe Rick Westhead's question was specifically, would you look after John Doe too in a similar manner? Uh, that being the, the formerly 16 year old high school student in, in Houghton, Michigan, that was abused by, by Brad Aldrich. And, and, you know, the commissioner said he needs more information. Um, you know, a lot of the information has been out there since 2014, I believe it was that, that, that case went through court. So um, I'm not sure what more he wanted to hear there, but, but, you know, look, this is such a difficult topic. I mean, there isn't one right answer. I guess, I mean, I think clearly what you want to be seeing here, though, is you want them to be trying to make everything right that can be made right. You're trying to punish anyone who who's in a position where they should be punished. Um, and, you, and certainly as we move beyond these first week or two, you, you want to try to, to address, you know, faults in the system so that further things like this don't happen in the future. And so, you know, I, I think that this is a start. I'd like to see the league do more. I'd like to see the commissioner's office do more. Um, but I don't think it comes from a position where he doesn't care. Or he doesn't think this is serious. I think it's just, you know, his where he's compelled to act maybe just isn't on the same level that I think there should be action on. It's that, sure. Okay. We can say that. Um, what about the the actual punishment? I didn't, I didn't win you over, though. No, no. Yeah, look, we're allowed to disagree on stuff. That's fine. Right. Um what do you think about the nature of the NHL's punishment, right? Like some people were making the point that, you know, $2 million as a fine for the Blackhawks, not sufficient compared to the fact that the uh, New Jersey Devils got more for salary cap circumvention of the Arizona Coyotes, lost draft picks and $2 million uh, for what they were punished for a couple of years ago, essentially having uh, in uh, what's it called? It's uh, illicit workouts, essentially illegal testing out. leading up to That's the draft, it. which I exactly. think everyone would argue is so much more trivial than what went on here. And they right? lost I, more, right? And I think that was a fair. Uh, that was one of the points I thought where the commissioner was kind of backed into a corner, so to speak, or. I, I didn't fully understand the reasoning. I mean, he's saying $2 million is, is a significant fine. I will grant him that. But in light or in context of other fines, it it, it came short of some other ones uh, for, for matters that, well, serious to the business of hockey and, and you know, violated the rules in place under the CBA. It, it didn't violate them in quite the, the human way that this did. And so, yeah, I think there could have been a heavier punishment there. I think there should have been um, just – just to set the precedent, honestly, I think the precedent is important here. Uh, like he was saying, part of what he wanted to communicate to the other teams is with a two million dollar fine is is this you have to have your own house in order, uh, or there will be there will be consequences to this. And and the commissioner at any time can hand out heavy financial fines and and can can dock draft picks, which you know maybe on the surface doesn't seem like a serious thing, but you know a team like the Blackhawks, I mean they're rebuilding. If they took away black uh, draft picks right now, I mean that. That would competitively hurt them for the next little while, which is part of the way their business runs, which you know hurts their, their bottom line on some level, and I think does send that message that no one wants to do this. And so, yeah, they fell short there. And I thought that part of the press conference, those the couple questions on that topic, he there was there was no way out of it because we have enough precedent with other issues that aren't. It's it's not comparing apples to apples, of course, but you know I. You have a case here. This should have been the largest penalty ever levied against an organization, because it's you know it's an awful thing that's happened, but it's the cover up too, right? It's it's how long this was swept under the carpet, never really dealt with, never flagged, didn't even get the ownership. I mean, this is a, I mean, we were reacting to the 
personal part of Kyle Beecher, this is just an ugly, ugly incident. Um, like everything that happened after, in addition to what happened at time, and then allowed this video coach to to go on to other victims, essentially to go on to other jobs. And so, yeah, yeah, there, there should have been a heavier fine there. I just I or, and, and and I would have been fine with draft picks. I mean, it's maybe not as easy because they've traded some of their future picks away. I, I don't know exactly how you get around that. You know, the Seth Jones deal involved two first round picks, um, for example, although one of them was made already. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Should have been more. I, I'll tell you this: like we we talked about in the last episode about what type of punishment would have fit Chicago well, and I kind of went out and said, you know what, just vacate the 2010 title. But you made the point about draft picks in that episode, and the more I think about it, like you're right, like the draft picks kind of hurt a little bit more because, and I mean, I'm thinking of what we see in college football where teams lose out on titles because of some violation that happens. That's not going to stop the players from that team celebrating and acknowledging the title and the fans of those of those teams they saw the footage it's still out there you can't really erase it like usc so had all these titles you, you could still find footage of them celebrating their national championship before it was vacated but a draft pick that hurts in the long run that's part of the development that's part of them making their team better so i'll say i'll give you that that uh well, look at Arizona right now. Like Arizona, yeah. this could be one of the worst teams we've ever seen this season. It's only, you know, yep. eight, 10 games into the year. So I won't go to, but they haven't won. I mean, they were close to beating Carolina on Sunday, but they really haven't been that close to winning in general. And this is, this is the fallout of what happened there. Right. I mean, they, they ended up not having draft picks a couple years ago. You know, then they, they drafted a player that they had to renounce the rights to afterwards. And then now they've tore They've basically, territory the whole program down to the studs to try to get picks to start a new rebuild. I mean, this, this is the echo effect of, of losing the picks they lost under John Chica, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and so when you look at the Blackhawks, like if you, if you dock them the next number of, of years, significant picks, I mean, how do they get better? I mean, they're, they're, they're they haven't won yet either. Um, you know, I think they have more in the organization present day than, than Arizona does, but they, they need those picks. And so, that, that would have condemned them maybe to five years of losing a competitive window, maybe having to trade guys like Taves or Kane, um, you know, rather than trying to rebuild on the fly and keeping those like it, it would it would have significantly altered their their plans and, and their ability to, to earn money as an organization. And so, yeah, that would have been acceptable in addition to a, a heavy financial fine to me. OK, I have a few more questions just on Gary Bettman and then we'll, we'll we'll be on the Gary Bettman media conference and then we'll move on to Donald Fear and some of the other topics we want to discuss. Um, do you have any thoughts on Kevin Dayoff's role in this? Essentially, Gary Bettman tried to make it as clear to everyone that he was a minor player in everything that happened and the responsibility didn't necessarily all fall on him or at least he wasn't really in a position to bear a huge brunt of that responsibility. I know a lot of people have been looking at all the different management types who were possibly in the room or in the organization at the time. I was just curious for what your thoughts are on, on Kevin Sheveldayoff and, and his role in all this and how the league opted to essentially not discipline him. Yeah. Well, I, look, he was the one guy in that room that's still working in the NHL today, you know, and, and I do agree with the sort of assessment here that he was the, the, the lowest ranking official in the room, you know, he didn't have in the organization at that time, he had the least ability probably to deal with something like this, but you know, it's still a pretty strong statement to, to keep him employed in a leadership position with another team. 
Um, you know, it had to help that his organization with the Winnipeg Jets were standing, you know, beside him. You know, Mark Chipman is the owner of the team is going to do a press conference with them here in the next few days. So once mm-hmm. Mark Chipman gets over an illness he's dealing with, uh, you know, I, I think that if you really wanted to send a stronger message, though, you know, he could have paid the price as well. Um, this is where I say I'm not sure if the NHL is the best suited to be making this this call essentially because you know i feel like you're 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 parsing really fine to to find a reason not to get rid of him whereas if you really want to make a big statement you know anyone who had any knowledge of this has to pay a price and and you know i was i was a little surprised i'll say on friday that that there was no further punishment whatsoever that you know he came to new york gave gave his side of events and that was that okay what about the Akeem Aliou portion of this? I, I don't want that to get swept under the rug. I, I know I, I brought that up in the last episode, and I noticed other people have been bringing that up as well. But you cannot forget about the fact that the same year that Bradley Aldridge did what he did to Cal Beach, that's the same year in the same organization, Akeem Aliou went through the racial abuse he went through with uh, then-head coach Bill Peters. Uh, the league uh, was asked about it uh, during the press conference, and they essentially just said, hey, the investigation on all those matters are done. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, the, that's what the league is saying. Uh, I've seen some reports go out there suggesting perhaps it might not necessarily be the case. Do you have any insight on that? I don't know a whole lot more than what was said. You know, I, I saw that Akeem Malu's own rep, though, came out and said that, that it's news to them. This is done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't appear that. It might, you know, it might be done the investigation, but we don't know what the results are that, you know, the person directly involved in this doesn't know what the results are, if there's any punishment. I mean, man, it doesn't make much sense to me, but I I don't, I don't have any specific knowledge, unfortunately. I don't, I can't support this with any additional reporting, That's Um, but, but it's, but it's a little bit awkward to me that like, why is there any question if this is done, you'd think he would know about it and evidently he doesn't. Okay. This is the, it's weird to say save the best for last year, but I think the most mind-boggling part of the entire press conference was noticing that Rick Westhead, the TSN reporter who interviewed Kyle Beach, who's reporting on this, has been at the forefront of this story, uh, noticing that he was on the call with Gary Bettman and fans, hockey Twitter people, and eventually media we're starting to realize that he was not necessarily getting uh, the opportunity to ask the question up until a little later on into the press conference. Did you notice any, I mean, I'm sure you were on the call or I'm sure you were able to just keep abreast of what was going on, but what did you think of the fact that uh, the NHL seemingly took its time on letting Rick Westhead ask the question? And it pretty much took, it took Pierre Lebrun to straight up ask on the call saying like, Hey, I hope you guys let Rick Westhead ask a question. Like, what did you think of all that? Well, optically, it's horrible. And and I, get, and I get that they might be able to say, hey, look, we were going to let him ask this question because he did ultimately get the question did Rick Westhead. But, you know, put him first, honestly. I mean, he he's the main reason this story is still being discussed at this level. Like he's he's done the, the, the legwork here. And I think almost out of respect, um, you know, even though the NHL might not like certain things Rick's reported on in the past. I mean, it it shouldn't be personal. This isn't about rewarding people you like or you don't like. I mean, it, it, to me, just to remove any notion that we might even be talking about this, I, I feel like you should have been called on right 
right off the hopper in the very early going of this call. And, and, you know, what's most damning is some people were called on twice before Rick got called on once. So, you know, I, it's, it's hard not to, to see that as them attempting to freeze them out or to, to, you know, not have them be able to ask a question, you know, at this point in time, I don't, I don't see any reason, you know, Gary Batman and Bill Daly are both been around for a long time. They've, they've been in the middle of lots of difficult situations. They, they meet reporters regularly. I just, I don't see what, what would be, there was nothing to be lost there by allowing Rick a question or two or three or four, if he wanted, quite frankly. And, and I think it was a misstep uh, PR wise for them to wait as long as they did. And then to have Pierre Lebrun be the one who, you know, would appear to me kind of push them into letting Rick ask a question and, and, you know, good on Pierre for doing so. You know, I think that, that, um, you know, it's up to all of us. We, we work for different outlets. I mean, I know Pierre and Rick both work at TSN where I do some work as well. Um, but I think we have to have each other's backs in this too. And, and um, yeah, like mind boggling. Like seriously, that anyone, they would even consider not allowing them to ask a question is just, it's just not worth the hassle. Like let the guy, the guy knows more about this than anyone. Let him, let him, let him keep doing his work. Yeah, it, it, it's embarrassing as far as I'm concerned, like to see people realize that, you know, of all these other people, there are other people who are getting to ask follow up questions and, and all that, like well before uh, requested. There are reporters who are not even on the level of seniority and, and prestige who are getting to ask all these questions well before Rick Westhead was like it was so it was like obvious. 40 minutes into the call, give or take. Come on. Yeah, like, I mean, the NHL could say all it wants that, hey, you know what, there's an order, we're trying to go through that on Zoom, but I'm sorry to everybody else, it looks bad. And not to mention, I forget who shared a video of uh, Rick Westhead a couple of years earlier uh, trying to approach Gary Bettman about asking a question. And uh, he was essentially almost kind of shrugged off and told, hey, it was not the time to ask the question. I think it had to do with concussions. But there is a history of the National Hockey League ducking rick westhead so if you consider that yeah you definitely are right to have your suspicions that the nhl is probably going to take its time and 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 not necessarily get to a rick westhead question right away it wouldn't have surprised me that's why it's avoidable though like to me just remove that the optics of that and just go to him right out of the gate or second question or third question you know have it right off the top get it out there and you know again like these guys can handle themselves didn't matter what anyone asks in any of these live interviews i mean Gary Bettman's been on this job 30 plus years. Like he's speaking, speaks to reporters as a matter of course. And, and he's a very smart guy. He's a lawyer. Like I, again, I just don't, I don't see any downside to giving Rick the floor. It seems personal and kind of just unnecessary to, to make this something we're talking about, but it was very much a thing. And it wasn't just us. I mean, you, you saw it everywhere on Twitter, the discussion about it, even to the point that, that Pierre had to step up and at least, you know, try to, to, to guilt them into doing it. Cause you know, if, if Pierre didn't say that for all we know, he never gets a question. Seriously. It, it, it's straight up embarrassing. Um, is there anything else from the press conference uh, that you'd like to mention any thought from the press conference you'd like to mention that I didn't get a chance to ask you? No, I, not really. I mean, as I said, I'm still gathering my thoughts on it. Like it only happened within the last couple hours here. It was long. It was, veered all over the place. Um, and as I say, I, I don't, I don't think it ever couldn't, I think it was always headed in that direction. I just, it was, it's an emotional time. 
and there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of different directions. This is pointing, but um, my goodness, it was, it, it was not, uh, it was not orderly. We'll put it that way. No, no. Um, speaking of stuff just going on, as we've mentioned a different number of times on this podcast, we are recording uh, as Donald Fear uh, is in a meeting with different NHLPA player reps, essentially to determine his future. Uh, a lot has been said about the way that he handled uh, the Kyle Beach affair. Uh, not a lot of good things being said. And frankly, to be honest, there is genuine reason, if, as far as I'm concerned, to believe that he could be in a position where he may have to step down from his position because he essentially let Kyle Beach and by effect, a lot of other players in the NHLPA over the last 11 years down. I'm not sure how you're able to trust a guy who's not able to help out in situations like that. What do you think about this whole Donald Fear thing? I know you wrote about it in, in your Inside the NHL column, which can be read on the Toronto Star. What did you think? What do you think about this whole ordeal? Any thoughts and insight on the Donald Fear matter? Well, there's definitely a lot of players that are going into that call wanting answers and they want more information from the NHLPA's end of things as to how this was just let, you know, these complaints were raised. This issue was raised, flagged to the senior levels of the organization and nothing appears to be followed up upon. I mean, players are pissed, man. There are, there are angry players out there that, that I've communicated with and you know, I think that the way they look at this is that if you want to be cynical about the business of pro sports, obviously teams routinely kind of toss guys aside. If you're not useful anymore, if you get traded, whatever, they don't always have your your best interest as an individual at heart. Um, you know, a lot of things can happen in this industry, and I think players kind of accept that it's part of what the job is. But you know, when you have a union, it's pretty explicit to me that the union should be there to protect the members of that union. And in in a sport like hockey, their health and safety is important. Um, because there's a lot of health and safety related issues to how the game is played, to the way the rules are adjudicated, to you know suspensions and player safety, all this type of stuff. And you know, it's hard to imagine a situation again if if you're the executive director of the NHLPA and get a call or get an email, get get information on something like this, and not want to get to the bottom of it, not do everything you can to advocate on that player's behalf. You know, I don't have all the answers as to why it didn't happen, and the player reps don't. And I think that that's really what this late afternoon Monday call is is going to be about is is asking some of those questions and getting more information than is currently available. And then some kind of decision will be made. And, you know, I really don't have a feel on how this is going to go. Uh, like you would need 18 players. If someone made a motion to change the leadership, you'd need 18 people to support it out of the 32. Um, so obviously more than half of the league, uh, you know, because those player reps essentially represent their team, uh, represent their dressing rooms views on those calls. You know, I'd be surprised if Donald fear was removed Monday night. Really? Um, straight away. But I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a path to removing him was agreed upon or something, something maybe more orderly than just saying you're fired today and we don't have a replacement. Uh, but who knows? I mean, I think that's part of the drama of this. I, you know, I've, I've spoken to people in and around the situation right up to the time the call was happening. And even, People that are pretty dialed in, you know, in that organization don't know exactly how this will go. And that's part of, I think what makes it, you know, compelling is, is that, you know, it's really up to the will of these players to, to, to dictate where they want their organization, what direction they want it to be, you know, what kind of action they want to take here. And yeah, 
I mean, Donald, Donald Fear wasn't the executive director when the Bradley Aldrich situation happened, but he did take over December of that year. Mm-hmm. And based on, you know, the information in the Jenner and Block, you know, report, you know, spoke to a couple agents, Pal Beach spoke to, you know, someone within the organization about what happened. And, you know, it's hard to imagine that 10 years went by and they didn't do anything or, or pursue this to, to more, more than what it seems. It just seems like it, it went away maybe because, he wasn't as full-time a member as other players. Obviously, you know, Kyle Beach didn't end up playing a regular season NHL game. Um, you know, maybe that's part of it, but you know, I don't think that that's acceptable to the players because, you know, often the union has to protect some of the most vulnerable members, right? Some, sometimes it is the players that don't have a huge standing on their team that aren't superstars that don't end up making a hundred million in their career uh, because they have brief careers in the NHL and they're, and they're really, you know, fighting and scrapping for whatever they can have. I mean, I, I think that, I think that's why this is players' attention is because, you know, Kyle Beach is one of the more vulnerable types of players that that comes through professional hockey, and obviously his union was among those that that failed him in this in this, you know, awful awful set of events that went down. Can you expand a little bit more on why you think uh, you did mention you'd be surprised if he was removed off of the call? Which again, we have to stress for everyone, we are recording. As the call is going on, it, I'm not sure if by the time the episode comes out somehow, if any announcement on his future will be made, but it should be pointed out that as you're listening to this episode, we are talking and recording as the call is going on. Uh, but is there any reason why you, you'd be surprised if he was straight up removed uh, during the call? Well, the NHLPA has a difficult history, right? Don right. Fear is a fifth executive director, fifth person to lead the organization and each of the previous four have been uh, no one got to leave the job on their own terms. Uh, There's always been some cloud of controversy or scandal or what have you around each of the previous people to do this job. You know, I think in Don Fears case, you know, there's some agents that are worried about what might happen to the union. if, If he were just straight up removed without really a clear successor, you know, as far as I know, there isn't really a succession plan that's in the works at, with the PA, which you would think would just be happening naturally as it is, you know, Don fear is 73. Um, he's, he's already working beyond an age. Most people would want to have a full-time demanding job the way this one is. And so, you know, even if this situation didn't happen, I think it's not controversial to say he wasn't going to be doing the job too much longer. Um, and so I think that, that some of the agents uh, are worried about instability with that outcome, but you know, I'm just going on my gut. You know, I, I haven't talked to the 32 player agents and player reps rather. And, and that would be the only way to truly know because those, those players can affect this change, but it's going to take a lot of them to rise up and say, let's remove them tonight or today. Uh, I think what's more likely is, is you see a, a different sort of transition of power that maybe t- plays out over some time. Um, that that's less him being fired on an executive board call and, at this stage of the season and, and maybe something more methodical plays out, but you know, this might be all outdated by the time you're listening and I might be totally wrong, but my sense of things is a lot of the prominent agents, you know, I think would prefer to see some order brought to the situation. I don't think it's so much that they're saying Don fear should keep his job, but you know, how he, how that transition of power happens, I think is important to, to some of those people with, with influence behind the scenes. Yeah. That's going to be a, a story uh, just pretty much every little domino that falls from the fallout of, of Kyle beach. Essentially. Now we're just going to be focusing on pretty much for the, for as long as we need to focus on them. But uh, I think we delve through a lot between the Gary Batman press conference and what we know as of right now, 
when it comes to Donald Fear. Um, I did say we would touch on uh, Jack Eichel. Uh, he is still a member of the Buffalo Sabres. He still has not gotten the uh, artificial disc surgery that he wants, uh, but there may be some teams interested in him still. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Jack Eichel right now? Well, talks certainly have escalated here in the last few days. I get that feeling that that there's a bit more urgency to the discussions. You know, and, and we've seen this happen. There have been periods sort of where there's spikes of, of interest and there's optimism. Maybe something might get done and then it goes quiet. You know, this has been a bit of a roller coaster uh, set of negotiations or dynamics that, that have happened. But, you know, it, it does seem to me that, that the Vegas Golden Knights still make the most sense for, you know, the suitor for Jack Eichel. You know, they're currently dealing with a, just a crazy rash of injuries right now. Uh, they're actually in Toronto. I was at their practice today. You know, they're with that William Carlson, Alex Tuck, uh, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Nolan Patrick. You know, you're not making a Jack Eichel trade to address those holes because, you know, as we know, there's still a long-term recovery here for this player. It's a, it's more of a big-picture long-term decision than anything about patching a hole today. But, um, you know, I, I do think the Golden Knights are – I know that they have a degree of interest, but there's there's also a game of chicken going on, right? Like I, I don't I've been pretty consistent in saying, Julian, that I don't think the Sabres are in a position to get maximum value here. I think that yeah. you know, once they've got into the season, it's it's a tough negotiation. And so it's it's kind of who's gonna blink first and, and what's it gonna take to to make this trade happen. But um, you know, the NHL would like to see it resolved. Uh, and I can't blame them. I mean, really, we're we're talking about one of the bright lights in the game kind of being in total limbo with his health and his future and all those types of things. And so between his agents working tirelessly, getting all these secondary opinions to make some teams comfortable with the surgery he wants with a little bit more urgency to those trade talks, you know, I have to think that uh, we're going to see a deal maybe sooner than later. I'm a little more optimistic about that. You know, there was a time I thought this might go all the way to next summer. I, I no longer believe that to be the case, but um, you know, if I'm, if I'm gambling, I'm saying he's going to be a golden knight, but I've gone to Vegas and lost before. So that's that's not a sure thing. You've you, I've never gone to Vegas in my life, and uh, I'm not a big gambler. Uh, so, hey, you've gambled for the both of us, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've seen the I've seen the wrong side of a craps table in Vegas. Oh, God. I, well, now that's just inspiration for everyone else on Ask CJ. Uh, one question I'll just ask here before we get to the uh, the question period of uh, the Monday episodes here. Um, is there, I mean, yes, the NHL is kind of busy with something else going on right now, but is there anything that could really like stop the league from just stepping in and being like, okay, you guys have a deadline to resolve this issue or a deadline to trade Jack Eichel or them just stepping in and just being like, okay, we're going to just take matters into our own hands with this. I don't think that'll come from the league, but what you might see is a grievance filed by Jack Eichel. And, you know, that's been available to him the entire time. You know, obviously the, the hope was there might be some resolution here that didn't require that to happen. But, you know, something he and the NHLPA can pursue is, is basically filing a grievance where they're alleging that the Sabres are, you know, basically denying his right to this surgery. And he's got, you know, this many doctors that are saying it's it's the right way to go and, and you know, try to force some hands that way. And so I, I think that that's, if, if a trade doesn't happen in the very near future here, I think that you're going to see, that grievance filed um, to try to push things along. Um, but I don't think the league would step in and set a deadline. I'm not really sure that's under their purview to do so, but, you know, behind the scenes, of course, they're trying to 
to help in any way they can to, to make this happen. I think it's, it's clearly in everyone's best interest for Jack to get healthy, um, to move on from, from the Sabres, to allow them to move on and, and make whatever trade they're going to make. I mean, I think that, you know, having this drag on as long as it has really doesn't benefit anyone. And so, you know, I, I don't see it being a league, um, you know, set of mandates, but, but certainly the PA and Jack Eichel might step, step things up a notch by filing a grievance here in the near future. Okay. So as this episode has progressed, we have gone from more of the heavier stuff with Gary Bettman and Donald Fear, something a little lighter with the Jack Eichel tidbit you just mentioned. And then we're going to get to ask CJ where uh, I tried to not as many questions as we would normally have, just considering the interest of time here. But also uh, I tried to make them a little bit lighter. Uh, you know, I think we can afford ourselves that obviously with what's gone on the last few days. It's OK. We're on the back half of 30 minutes now, so we can. We can, we can do light. The, the bell has already sounded. I think it has. Um, let's get to this first question. Uh, by the way, uh, if you ever want to participate in a future segment of Ask CJ, we do this every Monday. Tweet at Reporter Chris on Twitter or join our Discord and write into the CJ Questions uh, sub-channel uh, in the SDPN Discord. Here's a Twitter question from Steve Van Eyck. Does having a 30-second team in the league increase the Stanley Cup bonus for players? Ooh, I don't know if it's related to the fact that 32nd team came in, but in the MOU that was signed in 2020, there was a, an increase in that, the playoff bonus pool. And so I can't say for sure that it's directly related to the fact there's more teams, uh, but I do know the bonus money has expanded. And Julian, in the last, say, like six, seven years, it's expanded tremendously from from where it was before that time. Um, there's there's a lot more money available to players, and you know it's a time of year when they're not being paid. You know, players get a paycheck basically on the 15th and 30th from October through April, depending on the season. You know, obviously a little different in the COVID times, but in a, in a normal season, they, they get 13 or 14 checks, and then you know once April gets going, mid April, and they, they enter the playoffs, there's no more paychecks. So um, yeah, there's more money in the pot for players, and and you know, that's something they negotiated with the owners, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. Do we know the numbers specifically as to, you know, what, what, what money were they making like seven years ago and what money are they making now? I'm just curious. It, it more than doubled. Uh, and I don't, I don't have it handy, that's um, but like we're talking more than a couple hundred grand for each player on, on the winning team of the Stanley cup. And even if you lose in the first round, there's even a small amount of money for, for that. So each of the 16 teams that makes the Stanley cup tournament, uh, is guaranteed some amount of money. And if you, you play right to the end and win, you can buy yourself a nice car. Well, uh, or some Bitcoin, which is what I would recommend you do with it. I was waiting for a Bitcoin reference. Uh, Aaron and uh, today he's taking some of his salary in Bitcoin. Sorry, what was, what was that? I think Aaron Rodgers, the uh, Green Bay oh, yeah. quarterback. He, he just announced he's taking some of his salary in Bitcoin now. Oh, okay. I did not see that. I Tom Brady gave that. a Bitcoin to a fan. Yes, he did. It's happening, bud. It's happening. It's just like all these NHL people are just going to start. Imagine some guy out there is going to be like, give me all my salary in Bitcoin. I think so, like, I'm sure someone's going to do it. I'm sure. Oh, for sure. It's funny. When I was negotiating with my deal with TSN this summer or this fall, um, and we were at a point where we hadn't agreed on the money or whatever, and, and they jokingly said, hey, what happens if we pay you in Bitcoin? I was like, we'd have a deal right now. Oh, my like, God. Like, we, you could end the discussion right now if you paid me in Bitcoin. And I think he, he was kidding, and I wasn't. But uh, – I wow. think that's going to happen in our lifetime. 
Bitcoin CJ. Okay, so we have Big Money CJ and Bitcoin CJ. Those that's the second nickname for you. I feel like you I feel like you like Bitcoin CJ more than Big Money CJ. But in any case, uh next question from Tyler Cost on Twitter. What's your opinion on the Los Angeles Kings? Are they back to form or are the veterans carrying the team for yet another year? Curious to know your opinions on the farm system they have and whether you see another cup in their direct future. In parentheses, 2 to 3 years. Ooh, that might be a little soon. I, I like where they're going organizationally, though. Like, if you look at any of those rankings of best prospects, I mean, the Kings are in the top three, essentially, uh, pretty much unanimously. And so I, I do think that they're in a great spot. Big picture, I think if we're looking at the here and now, it's been a tough start to the year. Obviously, Quentin Byfield got injured, and, and so he's not available for the first number of months. You know, I don't know what that's going to mean for a season because, you know, once he does get healthy again, he's kind of playing catch up. And so, you know, they've had some tough hands dealt to them so far. And I do think, you know, Drew Doughty's already going to miss a significant amount of time. Sean Walker's done for the season already. You know, they've had some bad injury luck and I don't see them as being a deep enough team to get through something like that over a period of time. But, you know, if, if we, I'm forecasting another season this year where they're not going to make the playoffs, probably another year where they're going to pick reasonably high in the draft, depending on their, their, their luck with the lottery. And, you know, I don't think it'll be very long before we're talking about LA and Detroit both as two teams that, you know, were once great, have gone through this sort of nuclear winter and are going to, uh, you know, come out on the other side with with pretty damn good young teams that that are going to be, you know, climbing towards contention. Uh, on the subject of Detroit, I'll just add this as an aside. I can't wait until Detroit is good again. And I know they play in different conferences. Bring back the Detroit-Colorado rivalry. Some of the best days of the NHL were when both those two teams hated each other and went at each other's throats. And those teams were good. And in this new era, if both these two teams, a Detroit-Colorado Stanley Cup final, considering the history between those two franchises, maybe in like five, ten years or something, mind blown. I Well, both, both organizations from that era could look at it and say we could have one more cup except for the other team. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. like they, they each had like a dynamite team that lost either to the Avalanche or to the Red Wings, you know, that's what makes a great rivalry, of course, right? Is it, it, it went both ways. Both teams of that era did win cups at certain times, but, you know, they played some pretty crazy playoff series. We'll get it again. We'll, we'll get it again. My kingdom for Detroit, Colorado Stanley Cup final. Here's a question from Discord uh, from Aaron. Uh, was Zach Hyman on Team Canada's list of players to be selected for the Olympics? The long list, essentially, I think he's referencing here. Uh, with the way he's playing, he could be put on Connor McDavid's line there. Kind of like what happened with Sidney Crosby and Chris Kunitz in 2014. I do not know if he's on the long list. They, they're protecting this long list um, with with a high degree of security. You know, we've been able to figure out the goaltenders. Mm-hmm. You know, I did report in, in my story this week that Andrew Mangiapane from the Calgary Flames is on that list. And he's kind of, to me, an interesting dark horse name. I'm certainly not saying he's going to make Team Canada, but, you know, he had an excellent world championship last year. He was named MVP of the tournament. They won the gold medal in Latvia. That always scores your bonus points with Hockey Canada if you go and have a great tournament at the Worlds. And then, you know, he started this year with seven goals in his first eight games. And, you know, I just a player that I know talking to scouts around the league that have said, you know, he's just a rare guy that keeps getting a little bit better and better every year, even in, into age 25 where he is today. And so, you know, it's it's a tough mountain to climb when you're talking about Team Canada's forward group. I mean, that's that's the hardest entry point to this team. But, you know, I know he's being looked at. Zach Hyman, I, I don't know if he's on the list, so it, it's it's hard for me to to really evaluate his chances. Um, 
but you know, I don't think it's a crazy premise. When we've seen in the past that Team Canada likes to have sort of those pairs play together, guys that they know can can work. And you know, Hyman's he's he's having a great start to the season. But uh, you know, I do think it's going to be hard for whether it's Amanji Pony or Hyman. They're, they're just there's too many established stars that that aren't going to make this team. Like there might not be room for all of like Mark Shifley and Jonathan Huberto and you know Matthew Barzell. Like, like those are the players that are kind of on the fringes once we get beyond the obvious ones that I think we'd be agreed upon at the top of the roster. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to even get into that the sort of bottom half of Team Canada's A team. I mean, it's just such a, a deep forward group. Yeah, Canada, of course, being the favorite at the Olympics. Uh, last question for you, which uh, maybe a little late considering Halloween was over the weekend, but from Bootmaster Ben on Discord. By the way, sdpn.ca if you want to uh, join the Discord and uh, do all that fancy stuff there, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast. But from Bootmaster Ben on Discord, which horror movie villain would you be? <laughs> oh, man. I don't really watch horror movies. Me neither. Like, I don't even have a good answer. I, I, I have an answer for me. I know he didn't ask for me, but like, let's, I, well, let's I, have your answer. Cause like, honestly, I don't even have an answer. I haven't watched a horror movie in like 20 years. Damn. Really? What was the, what was the last movie you watched that the last horror movie you watched? I don't know. I haven't watched a movie in like five years, probably. Really? Yeah. I'm wait, so wait, bad wait, with like, pop culture. Like, like movie theater or like sitting at home on like Netflix or Amazon Prime? Like Both. at all? Both. What? Yeah. How? I don't know. This, who has time for that? Uh, I mean, okay. Well, that's fair. I mean, <laughs> no, no. You know. I'm not like, I'm not making fun of anyone, but like, you know, no, my okay. job has been to cover the NHL. And, and so I, I basically watch hockey every day. And then when I get some free time, I like, I watch other sports. And then I, you know, I've Ted Lasso. Yes. Mixed in a little succession. And then after that, I just, there's no, there's no more free time. Read, read a book here and there. So, but like, like in the off season, like, like you would, you would, it's the summer. Up, Who's like, going to sit around watching a movie? I mean, some, some, some summer blockbusters come out, you know, the Avengers or some big movie franchise. I honestly what, don't like, know the last movie I saw. Like, it's that long ago. That's amazing. Do you know I what? I'm actually, do you know what's wrong? What's up? I, I, because I, I've certainly forgot about this. When I used to travel a lot, which I did right up until the pandemic hit, I, I would watch the occasional movie on a flight. So okay. I have, I, it, it hasn't been five years, but it's been like two years. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, the answer I was going to say for which horror movie villain I would be, uh, I'll say Candyman. I, I could be Candyman. I could be uh, Tony Todd. And, uh, you know, if you say my name three times in a mirror with the lights off, or I don't know exactly how it comes out, but I could probably be Candyman. I think I could do a pretty bang on job, like walking around the hook and just terrorizing people. I remember. I'll give you, I'll be the crazy Chucky doll then. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. <laughs> terrible. do you do like so like with halloween and stuff like are you were you into that like or do you dress up like what do you, what do you do with that no damn not, nothing like nothing. i can't you had a killer costume i actually loved your costume thank saw you it on, saw thank it on the gram like that was thank that you. was lots of effort and bang on you had all the details down Thank you. Um, For context, I was uh, Axel Folia, Eddie Murphy's uh, character from uh, the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. I had the whole. Where'd you get the lion's jacket? jacket? I found it, I think, on Etsy. I, they had like someone made it and like I, I bought it. I was like, OK, like I want to be this character. 
Like yeah. I'm going to commit to the bit. So I found the jacket online and I bought it and uh, it fit me perfectly. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, didn't, I didn't dress up. We don't, I live in a building, a condo building. We don't get trick or treaters at the house. I might just be at the wrong age where no one my age is throwing Halloween parties for social gatherings. Don't have any yeah. kids. So I'm not taking any kids out trick or treating. So no, yeah, I didn't, I didn't dress up at all. Damn. They don't have Halloween parties when they get to your age. No, man. When you get this many grays, Julian, oh. Halloween parties, they stop unless you got kids, right? Like lots of my buddies, you know, going through Instagram, I, the, the, my buddies that were dressing up are all the ones that were out with their kids on the street. I saw James Myrtle out there. Yeah, uh, you know, wearing a costume. You know, I, I, I think, think it was Deadpool. I think James Myrtle was like, de- like he was wearing those full on like suit. I think it was Deadpool. He was. Yeah, he's a giant head. nerd. Of course he was. Like, what? yeah, like that's 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 right up his alley. And then Steve dressed up as uh, I think Steve from Blue's Clues. He was wearing the green sweater, which yeah. uh, he's done that before. Uh, but that being said, he he really can pull that off. Like he's that's pretty good. I think Adam also dressed up as well. I don't know what Jesse dressed up as. I don't know if Jesse does that. Maybe he's just too grown to dress up for Halloween. I don't know. Now, so what's what's the ruling on that? Like, are you allowed to wear the same costume more than once? Or I I mean I don't know if there's any real rules with that. It's just that. If if you wear in the same costume the same year over and over and over, like I'm allowed to notice and be like, can't you come up with something different? But right. Like if if it's been a couple years, like I don't know. If you like the costume, wear whatever costume you want, man. We got too many rules about what people should be wearing and, right. and all these conventions or whatever. Who cares? Do what you I'm, want. I'm gonna dress as Steve Dangle next year for Halloween. That's gonna be do my it. uh do it. That's that's gonna be my character. You should do that. Wear a Leafs jersey and like recreate one of his videos as like, like I would, I would watch it. I would help out. I'll do whatever I need to do to make sure that dream happens. You should everyone write in the comment section or let everyone know you would want CJ to recreate uh, a Steve Dangle costume and have him recreate one of those LFR videos. One of those like legendary ones he did like nine two Zamboni driver game seven videos, like one of them. Yeah, so if you're gonna do it, commit to the whole bit. So what's the play then? Do I do the exact same transcript, same everything he did, or just do one that's more of an ode to, like like something that sounds like something I, he might have done? Like I think it'd be hilarious if you did the whole like recreation of one vid. But I think if you find a way to, if you put your own spin on it and you make it look good, like nobody's gonna get mad at that. It would be a total homage to uh, the uh, to Mister Dangleton, I guess. I wonder if we could convince him to put it right on the SDPN channel on YouTube. I think he'd do it. I think he'd do it. Also, while I'm here and we're asking of stuff, uh, Steve, uh, I notice you're big into wrestling and you have that wrestler voice down. Please cut a promo for the CJ show in your wrestler voice. Please and thank you. Signed uh, management. Please. We would really appreciate that. that. This is a good brainstorming session. Yeah. See, look, we can we can do fun stuff on this show. This show is fun. That's what's supposed to be. And I think Love that's pretty that. much everything we're supposed to talk about on uh, the CJ show uh, Thursday. We'll have a brand new episode. We'll I heard you're coming cast. to town next week. Is this is this a confirm or deny moment or what? Uh, I'll just say sources is, say uh, Julian might be in the house. I'll just say uh, there's a chance uh, Monday's episode might look a little different. A little different. Do you think Adam Maybe. will let us come over? Maybe if uh, do you think he puts actually? I I don't think we have a problem about getting access. My question is, is if he puts a time limit on the on the timer there. Oh yeah, he might have it so like the lights go off after thirty minutes, and then like we just can't record. 
and like the equipment goes off like like after like minute 30 like hey uh the mics don't work anymore hello <laughs> hello yeah that's literally what's going to happen i think that's probably what's going to happen but uh yeah uh i, I guess we'll uh i'll see you in person uh next week somehow. second time Perhaps ever man this is momentous second time ever second momentous. time ever Oh, man, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for Thursday's episode. I can't wait for any other future episode of uh, the CJ show. Uh, Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And also just subscribe to all the other fun podcasts on the network. The Game Over Show with Andrew Berkshire, Adrian Provocateur from uh, Alan Walsh, who I hope, uh, I don't know what the recording is going to be like for the Tuesday episode, but I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear what Alan Walsh has to say about the events of the last week. Because if, you, if you've been looking at his Twitter, he has not held back. He has not held back on any of his opinions on that. And also, he might make some news on his own show. We'll see. I think so. I, we'll that's see. what I want from that show. So those two shows and uh, I guess the Steve Dangle podcast, I guess that's pretty important. But also yeah, that small podcast should, that you might have heard of at some point. In all seriousness, you should check out their last two episodes where they delve in into the uh, the uh, the report surrounding, uh, obviously, the news with, with Kyle Beach and the interview they have with uh, Rick Westhead as well, which I think is one of the better pieces of content you can listen to in the fallout of everything to do with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, for CJ, I'm Julian saying so long. We'll see you all on Thursday. And peace. Peace, folks. Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.